0: So, uh, as people probably know by now, I'm pretty well useless this month. Um, It's the Women's World Cup. We have it on in the background. Yes. If you you hear me completely lose my mind at some point, it'll be because England has scored a goal in the second half against Argentina. England, Argentina. I apologize to all of our Argentine fans. I'm (laughs) rooting for England because I I do love the English ladies. Uh. I think they're terrific. And a lot of my favorite players of all time were all were uh, were English players, so uh, including the two that are doing the commentary kelly smith and uh, and Annie so uh... Not, yeah.
1: not at the moment.
0: Not at the moment, but who are doing the uh, the commentary during the halftime? So, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm I'm all into women's soccer. My daughter's out of, out of school. She's uh, she's done with kindergarten now. Can't believe that happened. Yes,
1: yes, graduated from kindergarten. It's
0: unbelievable. Yeah,
1: born, graduated from kindergarten. That usually yeah. takes about 20, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, next thing you know, just,
0: and and you know, all these people whose kids I remember when they were born, they're posting pictures of you just moved him out of college. He's going back <laughs> home for summer. I'm like, what? Did, really?
1: Next time. You when you look up, you'll be uh getting her out of middle school. Yeah. And then she's gonna want a keys to the car.
0: And then I'm gonna be lying on my deathbed <laughs> looking up <laughs> and thinking uh, Where'd all this go? Yeah, man. Just tell me about it. Talking to my mother yeah. this
1: morning, she's like, time flies. Yeah, it like, does. thanks, Mom, yeah, for reminding Crazy. me, my back hurts it's just insane.
0: And yet, there is somewhere in in the oceans of the world some ancient prehistoric shark thing that's been around for about a thousand years, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a, a tree in the woods that's uh, a, a thousand years old. But you know, I think
1: there's a mushroom someplace that's a couple of thousand
0: <laughs> years old. <I> heard. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, well, that is. So uh, yeah, the uh, the 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 summer is shaping up in an interesting way mm. after the the burst of Avengers Endgame, yeah. which which really tapered off pretty quickly. It's still going to beat Avatar, uh, but it tapered off real quickly. It
1: sucked up all the air in the room for a while too.
0: And everything else is disappointing. Well, I mean, let's
1: talk about the uh, gigantic flop of Dark Phoenix. Oh I my god! I think that's gosh. the one.
0: Yeah and and this weekend what's even what's what's even underperforming Dark Phoenix in its second weekend is Men in Black International yeah. in its first weekend.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which you know, which brings it's funny because that's uh, uh, Tessa Thompson from yeah. the Valkyrie. Well, and, and of course and Lee, Thor, you know, Thor. <laughs> so I, I, I sort of got that. You know, I don't frankly I don't know why you make another man and original movie. What twenty twenty years ago, yeah. something like that. The, well, the, and the third one was
0: already a bit of a mess. Yeah, so I'm not sure why you pull that ripcord well, again. Um, they, 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 they seem to be unable to acclimate themselves to the idea that some franchises are done. Mm-hmm. They, because they look at them and they think, well, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to squeeze blood out of this turnip. We got to be able to somehow reinvent this for a new generation because it works so well the first time. We'll find a way. So that's why we keep getting Ghostbusters. And, and then they look for the little black.
1: touchstones of what the current generation. I think we're down, what, uh, The millennials are gone. They're old now. Uh, we, we got yeah. one. We got a new one behind the millennials. Yeah, whatever it is, uh, whatever the hell they call them. Uh, and they look for the little touchstones to to uh, insinuate into the movies to speak to that whatever the new, new little yeah. group is, which of course alienates. The original group. Yeah. So we who enjoyed you know, the original Men in Black yeah. or whatever it is, now I hate this movie yeah. Uh, because you're not even talking to me anymore. You're talking no. to that 13-year-old over there. Shaft came back um, um, yeah. as well uh, this I, summer, and I, I got to tell you, same situation. Same situation. Uh, they, they've not got looking a, good. Not looking a, good.
0: They have to find a way to be okay with taking a chance on new things. Original content. You gotta do, it. You've gotta not do even,
1: it. Not even not original content that isn't even necessarily based on some other content, what you yeah. call IP, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, there was a time and you and I both lived uh you know, we you and yeah. I were both working in Hollywood when you could write a script, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, uh Billy Bob Thornton. Sure. Uh, sassy little script you wrote it came right out of your head, set there with your little typewriter, actual typewriter. Yeah. Wrote mm-hmm. your
0: script, Shane Black, and and
1: Shane Black, Joe and, and, and they would make that movie that came out of that writer's head
0: yeah. into a, a movie. This hardly ever happens anymore. It all happened when the, uh, when the decision-making process moved away from individual creative executives mm-hmm. and into these committee things that involved marketing people and, and, um, and executives who had no creative background and mm-hmm. you know, uh, ancillary. What are the ancillary opportunities here? What sure. else can we sell? What toy? What toy? Yeah, what, what, what game? Which
1: what? I even understand in the context of, uh, of, of most of the Disney universe now because yeah. you know what? You can make a toy out of that. You can make a toy out of the, toy, yeah. the things from the Toy Story movie. All right, fine. Yeah, uh, uh, knock yourself out with that. Um, you can even make a toy out of uh, you know all of the, all of the uh, assets from all of the superhero movies. Okay, fine. Yeah. Knock yourself out with that. Not going to mess with you about any of that. What does that, that say though about just a straight up drama or a comedy without a particular sort of ancillary hook? You know, yeah. like just a, any any given Bob Hope movie. Yeah, you know, yeah, any, any of that, any of that, all gone, all yeah. gone. Uh, so, you know, it's a odd thing. Not to mention the fact that even for the radio show that we do, our broadcast yeah. radio show, uh, which for years has been 100% about theatrically released movies, we regularly talk about day-and-date movies out on, at least Netflix yeah. now. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Every, the, the, the,
0: the entire landscape is a, it's a, it's a new it, world. It is, it is a whole new deal. So, And in and in 10 years, it'll be another new deal. Yeah, so
1: yeah. It's Although I do not think... Theatrical uh, films are gonna go away.
0: No, uh, they they always they always morph into something different, and uh, they'll they'll stick around, but they'll they'll turn into something else. And and the comic thing will go away too. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna start off hit some uh, hit some music titles here real quickly. Uh, got a really really cool documentary here, music doc called uh, May It Last: A Portrait of the Abbott Brothers by Judd Apatow and Michael Bonfilio uh Judd Apatow, you know, uh is in a place now where he can take a little bit of time out and do some passion projects and that includes this documentary uh that is about the band the Avett Brothers who uh you probably never heard of they're from North Carolina and um they did an album called True Sadness which uh got, you know, Grammy nominations and this is um this is just all about that band and those guys, and uh, this is from Oscilloscope on Blu ray. If you've never heard of them, don't worry about it, it's still a great story. It's a really cool doc, it's an interesting story, it's a passion project for uh, for Bonfilio and Judd Apatow. And um, it's it, I, I have to say, it's a little bit like a long strange trip, which I, I talked about a week or two ago. Uh, the uh, the Grateful Dead documentary, which is four hours long, and I don't even like the Grateful Dead, and it's one of my favorite docs of nah, all time. Yeah. because it's a great story. Yeah,
1: this is a good story and, too. And, and Jerry Garcia is a very interesting uh, character. Totally interesting, for lack of a so. Point. You
0: you don't need to love the music <laughs> to to really appreciate the doc. Uh, we've also got Sinatra in Palm Springs, the place he called home. Uh, this is uh, uh from Shout, and it's on Blu-ray and uh it's a really interesting kind of uh it's sort of you know this is one of those docs that just says we're going to we're not going to try to wrap our arms around a big subject we're going to find a really we're going to take a big Topic Sinatra, and then we're going to pinpoint something very, very specific about his life mm-hmm. because you can't do a single documentary about Sinatra. No. Sinatra is like 150 different documentaries. Yeah, young Sinatra, Sinatra in the 60s, Sinatra, Sinatra, Sinatra acting Sinatra. That's it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's too much. It's gangster Sinatra, yeah. Sinatra in the Reagan Pol- political political, yeah, political Sinatra, Sinatra, Sinatra. Yeah, it's just it's just too much. Um, so this is all about Sinatra's um, home in Palm Springs, which was his getaway. It was like his sanctuary for for uh, over half a century and um it's it, it, this um, people paid attention to this more when he was married to Ava Gardner mm-hmm. that was when you know Sinatra and Palm Springs was kind of a synonymous thing uh and then um you know he 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 then obviously there are other episodes in his life so this is this talks about why uh Sinatra and, and had such an attachment to Palm Springs, why he loved the Coachella Valley, uh and how that reflected in his in his work, in his music, in his acting, everything else. It's really very interesting. And uh tons of clips here, really fun stuff, a lot of stuff that I'd even forgotten that he'd done, uh, a lot of TV stuff. Uh, and uh great inter- interviews, really great interviews. So, uh Really an, a super strange subject, but a really, really interesting documentary. <laughs> very nicely put together. Uh, then we've also got, uh, got a ton of classical here from Naxos, but I'm also going to mention this uh, this uh, DVD here from MVD, which is Woody Guthrie, the All-Star Tribute Concert from 1970. This is really a great blast from the past. Uh, let me just say straight out, Woody Guthrie, uh, bears no resemblance whatsoever to David Carradine. I know a lot of people yeah, have, a lot yeah. of people have seen Bound for Glory, which yeah. is a great Hal Ashby movie. Um and he he gets the voice right, but he in no way they don't look alike at all. No. So here you actually get to um you get to see the real Woody Guthrie. And what a great concert. This is this is not a um this is not Woodstock. This is not uh, Wattstack. Mm. This is not uh, any of those legendary concerts from the 60s and 70s yeah. that we think about. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's not what this is. But it was an important one. This was a, uh, a fundraiser for the California chapter of the Committee to Combat Huntington's Disease. Um, and that's, you know, what, what it's now the Hereditary Disease Foundation. But it's what, it's what Woody Guthrie uh, died of in 1967. And so you, you get this tribute to him, this tribute concert, from three years after his death. Uh, it's narrated by Peter Fonda and Will Gear. And it features Arlo Guthrie, obviously, Joan Baez, uh, Ram Jack Elliott, uh, Pete Seeger shows up here. It's, um, it's really, really, it's, it's quite lovely. It's just quite lovely. And um, it, this has never been seen before on DVD, and this is the first time. And uh, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, a lot of really wonderful performances. Joan Baez is just uh, incomparable here. And it's a nice blast from the past. And uh, it's a wonderful thing for somebody to have unearthed. And uh, MVD has put it out on DVD. It'd be nice to have it on Blu-ray, but I don't think the original film, mm. the stock's pretty grainy. I can't imagine they get, they're going to get much, out, much else out of it. Yeah, well, sometimes you do that and it just makes it look worse. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Very true. Um, All right. So we're going to plow through a bunch of things here from Naxos uh, on the classical end of things. The most interesting one here is Leonard Bernstein's Young People's Concerts, New York Philharmonic, Volume 1. You may have heard that uh, Bradley Cooper is going to follow up uh, Stars Born with another music biopic, um, which is going to be the uh, Leonard Bernstein biopic. And uh, he's kind of perfect to play Bernstein. He's the right age. He looks like him. It's a great acting challenge. Uh, And I think uh, directing it, he'll do a terrific job. So I'm kind of looking forward to that in all Mm. kinds of crazy ways. The uh, Young People's Concerts with the New York Philharmonic Volume 1 includes four Blu-rays. And um, this was a... uh, This all took place on... This was aired on CBS, and it all took place between 1958 and 1972. And with a total of 52 programs that Bernstein wrote and hosted and produced and um, were meant to sort of um, imbue a a new generation with a love for classical music and an orchestral performance. And it was... It was really amazing. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Uh,
1: G- Gustavo Dudamel, the conductor yeah. of the Los Angeles yeah. engages in the same sort of thing, which of course he did in his native wonderful think, Brazil. If I'm not yeah. Those were great. I used to, I used to uh, follow those. Fantastic. All the time.
0: Yeah. I'd never seen any of these before, and uh, it's just really, really wonderful stuff. So uh, this is volume one. More volumes to come, almost certainly. But you've got like who was Gustav Mahler is on uh, volume two here, which is which is so interesting because mm-hmm. I always thought I knew who Mahler was because I've seen the Ken Russell movie. Mm-hmm. I know all about. I knew nothing about Mahler. <laughs> Ken, Ru- Ken Russell movie is no primer on Mahler. It's primer on Ken Russell. They never are. I know. Those biopics. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you you know humor in music is a really really good one. Um, uh, what is impressionism? Uh, what is American music? Uh, what makes music symphonic? It's really really it's just really terrific. It's just a, an absolute delight, and you you really connect to this. If you see that, you're gonna know you're gonna realize how great the the, the Bradley Cooper film can be because uh Bernstein was such a such a charismatic figure not just a great conductor and and obviously a composer but really really interesting. Uh all right, let's um here's another one. This is the uh, Midsummer Nights Gala at Grafenegg with uh, Joseph Kaleha, Pr- uh pretty Yende, Harriet Krieg and Tonkünstler the uh, Kunstler Orchestra directed by Utaka Sada. Uh, Osado um boy I mangled every single person 's name here <laughs> I, did, I, it, I, did I, I, I tried to i tried to be cool and go through it i got nothing right uh, this is a um, uh, this is from the Grafenegg festival in two thousand and eighteen when they performed a whole ton of uh, famous opera areas, and uh, it's uh, it's lovely. There's a lot of really... I mean, if you want something that's like the greatest hits of opera areas, you could you could do really no worse than this. Uh, stuff by Rossini and Verdi and uh, Leonard Bernstein, of course, uh, Puccini, uh, Edward Elgar. It's a lot of wonderful stuff here. It's, it's just a, one of those really nice kind of Hollywood-bowlish type things. And um, I didn't even, you know, I had no idea there was such a thing as the Grafenig Festival. But it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so um, that's on Blu-ray. also have the Lucerne Festival Orchestra um, uh, performing Ravel under Ricardo Chayi. And uh, Ravel is a bit of a an, an acquired taste. You, some people love him, some don't. This has uh Valse noble and sentimental La Valse, fragment, symphonic fragments from Daphnis and Chloe, which I love, which mm. is absolutely wonderful. And of course, Bolero, which everybody knows. Bolero is like the one Ravel piece that everybody's like. If you go, who's Ravel? Oh, he did uh, Daphnis and Chloe. Nah, never heard of it. He did uh, this is a, this is a, uh, Bolero. Oh yeah, the Bolero guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Bolero guy. All right, very good. Anyway, this was uh, recorded in August of two thousand eighteen. It is lovely. Uh, we also have. Uh, let me see here. Here's a good one. Uh, special edition Bachman. This is from Filmrise, and uh, this is all. Uh, this is um, about Bachman Turner Overdrive. And uh, basically, a a concert documentary, uh, a look into um, uh, Randy Bachman and how he m- emerged from the Guess Who and formed Bachman Turner Overdrive, and uh, you know what what the what the music inherits from from Canadian culture. You know, I never really thought it, that that there's like Canadian rock. Apparently, there is. And uh so that's and then a lot of really good interviews here with people like Paul Schaefer and Neil Young. So, um that's that's uh not a brilliant doc, but certainly it's very very interesting especially if you uh if the the figures involved are of interest to you. Uh the Shanghai Symphony Orchestra doing uh a, a whole a whole bunch of selections under the conduction of Long Yu and it includes the uh symphonic poem Hutongs of, Pe- of Peking by Aaron Schalomov who passed away in 1965 uh, a composer i am not the least bit familiar with but then you also get which is very interesting it's really interesting the, hu- the Hutongs of Peking it's a symphonic poem it's you know it- it's quite interesting and then there is uh, Tchaikovsky's violin concerto in D mm. uh Shostakovich symph- uh, symphony symphony no. number 5 and uh, wonderful violin work by Maxim Yengarov. Uh, this is all recorded in uh, Lucerne in August of 2017. And that is from Accentus Music. And then we get operas. I'm going to blow through these operas real quickly. Uh, Bellini's I Puritani, really interesting uh, pr- production with the uh, opera of Stuttgart in Germany a uh, very interesting art direction uh and staging, really kind of uh aggressive, not too avant garde, but it's 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 impressive. Makes really nice scale use of the uh the stage. Uh we also have Carl Maria von Weber's Der Freischutz. And that just should scare you all. There's just the Der Freischutz. Uh Teatro alla Scala is the uh the uh performing background. This is fine. It's nothing particularly amazing. I'm not a, exactly a von Weber fan. Uh, it's German romantic opera performance, but it's, uh, you know, it is passable. Uh, Mozart's Don Giovanni, the 950,000th uh, Blu-ray of a staging of this. This one uh, comes from C Major, and this is from the Sferisterio Opera Festival, staged by Pierluigi Pizzi. And uh, it's... It's not better, it's not worse than any other Don Giovanni. It's basically just Don Giovanni, and it's fine. Uh, if you have other Don Giovannis, I wouldn't necessarily add this to them or trade any of them in. They kind of all fit, fit the bill. Uh, Verdi's Stifelio. Um This is from the uh, Parma. This is from the Verdi Festival in Parma at the Teatro Reggio in Parma, Italy. This is from Naxos proper, not a a different brand. And I've never, I didn't watch the whole thing. Watched a little bit of it. Um, it's quite nice. It's it's nice Verdi. It's not one of Verdi's uh, obviously most performed operas, but it's it's really good music and a uh, very very competent kind of uh, contemporary staging. So uh, that's very nice. And then the last two uh, is uh, Coppelia, which is a uh, which is a ballet. And this is conducted by Pavel Sorokin, and uh it's a it, I, i'm I, I didn't follow the story very well, to be honest, didn't uh stick with it for too long. It's based on the uh, on tales of Hoffman uh, and um it's fine, I guess it's fine. You know, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I didn't really love it. It was. Uh, it was fine. Uh, it's performed by the corps de ballet, the actors, actresses, orchestra, and chorus of the State Academic Bolshoi Theater, students of Moscow State Choreographic Academy. That's the actual name of the people performing. The Russians cannot be brief about anything. <laughs> and then, uh, lastly, is a uh, Donizetti opera called Il Castello di Kenilworth and uh it's fine uh donizetti is also an acquired taste has uh you know this is also a, a really kind of cool aggressive modern slash classical staging it kind of mixes the the best of each but um this is from dynamic and um you know it's funded by the donizetti foundation what can i tell you it's it's you know it is what it is there oh, it is wicked cool wicked done
1: cool. I'm going to jump into some uh, LGBT stuff while you watch the game in the back. I I meant to turn on the closed captioning. Oh, that's quite all right. don't need the closed captioning. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's Pride Month. It's Pride Month. (laughs) It's Pride Month, and and, and we have some interesting stuff for our LGBT community out there, including this documentary by Donna Zakario, To a More Perfect Union, U.S. versus Windsor. This is – this is a doc about a very uh, pivotal case uh, in the history of LGBTQ rights uh, in the justice system uh, across the United States. So, a uh, doc this relationship uh, between a woman and her partner of 40 years. Uh, when, uh, when is that you should, all? Uh, yeah, well, tell me about it, right? Um, and when her partner passes away, she got hit with this ridiculous estate tax because uh-huh. you know the, the, it was a gay marriage. Right. They weren't married right. at all, relatively speaking, uh, over the course of the years. But when they did in fact get married, after that became a thing that folks could do, yeah. she still got hit with this, went, went which court. would not have applied exactly. Exactly, uh, had she been married to a man. Uh, so she and her attorney, she was 80 years old at this point, and her attorney, Roberta Kaplan, went to court uh, to fight to change this incorrection, and they managed to do it after a long. Hard-fought battle. This film is really
0: England cool. just scored. England just scored. I'm trying. I'm trying to <laughs> That's okay. keep this,
1: it together. This film is is fascinating for a couple of different reasons. The court case itself, which is not unlike um, on the basis of sex, that Ruth Bader yes, Ginsburg right? movie. Uh, the the court case itself was much like that in terms yeah. of what was at stake what's lovely about this film is the long historical documentation of this relationship that's really what makes the film yeah. you already know they're gonna win the court case so that's, it's, it's, that's yeah. not that's not the pivotal thing watching this relationship uh... as it happens over forty years wonderful black and white photography and uh... eight millimeter photography because again uh, these folks were together for a very very long time so that's where this Beautiful, beautiful movie actually lies. Uh, Donna Zaccario, uh, who made this film, also made a really neat movie uh, about uh, Geraldine Ferraro. Geraldine Ferraro paving the way, uh, who, of course, Geraldine, of course, was, was, first, it, was, was uh, the
0: first woman to be on a presidential ticket. ticket, you know, yeah. a
1: major candidate on a presidential ticket. So uh, interesting little territory that she's
0: taking care of there,
1: walking around. So check that one out. Then we have testosterone. Volume three, third in a volume of, uh, third in a set of these short films that are really, really terrific short films. Some of them date back quite a a ways and they get sort of um, uh, aggregated into the set. This one includes uh, 1992, Silver Lake Afternoon. Uh, Silver Lake Afternoon was a wonderful little film that played in Outfest four or five years ago. I remember remember, uh, reviewing that film. Just Me. Telling Dad, uh, which is a Andre D. Chambers film. Andre makes some really lovely films. Most of his films are about uh, the relationships between uh, straight men and gay men. Usually, uh, sons telling their fathers, uh, coming out to their fathers, and they're always very interesting because they don't always go the way you think they're going to go. Right. Most of the time, it's the gay guy that has the issue. Yeah. And In his films, and the dad is like, "Well, we always knew you were a gay, son." <laughs> right. You know, and and then and then, and then yeah. the sort of things that sort of pop up around that. You know, these yeah. sort of expectations that don't get fulfilled. It's very interesting stuff. And yeah, the I, jealousy. I,
0: I, I will say this: it's really interesting too. Uh, having gone through now six years and or six and a half years of parenthood. Uh, You you, really know I I don't believe that any but the dumbest parents could ever be surprised by anything about their kids like when 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 my daughter throws her gnarliest tantrums I, I pull her aside and I go let me tell you something. I threw that tantrum once. (laughs) I know why you're going nuts at 6 o'clock at night. Because I used to go nuts at Uh. 6 o'clock at night. Uh. Uh, You know why you're not going to get ice cream before bed anymore? Because (laughs) it sets you off like a cocaine fiend. Because it used to set me off like a cocaine fiend. Um, you know, we have the same DNA, and you know why uh, that that anger that you're giving me right now, that's not from me. That's from your mom, and <laughs> I've known her a long time too. So I know everything about you before, better than <laughs> yeah. you do. None of this is gonna work. So, Nothing yeah. So work. again, that's no, the thing. Completely. It's like parents know their kids. No, oh, My my mother and father both
1: knew my brother. We all knew my brother was gay. For God's sakes. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and and it's an interesting story because you know, like like the folks in that little short movie I was talking about. Yeah, my dad was like. <laughs> Just, uh, it's nothing. We all knew you were yeah. yeah. gay. <laughs> you know, yeah. What do you want? You want the piano, don't you? Um... <laughs> Uh, this is a lovely little film. Before homosexuals, uh, from the ancient, from ancient times to, Vic, to the Victorian Crusades, this is an interesting film from the folks who did uh, Before Stonewall and After Stonewall. So right. this is like a prelude to that. And it's really just an interesting sort of a script thing. I've actually seen stuff like this on PBS. You have all these uh, ancient Egyptian cave paintings and and vases and, and yeah. all these sort of homoerotic scenes that are yeah. captured. And, and the point of it is to suggest that you know this thing that we. Uh, used to be pretty afraid of, has always been around and always will be. I like the historical sort of context of all of this. Uh, Ph.D., uh, Bernadette Bruton, uh, author of uh, Love Between Women, uh, uh, narrating most of the film. Really, really interesting stuff, actually. Uh, I think so. Anyway, um, sorry, Angel. This is, this, is, this is really just a really fun, funny film uh, about this guy in his 30s who has a, a young son. Uh, he goes to Brittany for work. He's living in Paris, and he goes to Brittany for work, and he meets a young man in his early 20s. The young man is just sort of realizing that he's gay and coming out and floating off into the world, and they, and they become attracted. The, the, the complication is that the 30-year-old guy is, in fact, a father. He's gay, but he is, in fact, a father, and he has to sort of, like, calculate his life around his son, and the younger man wants to just sort of win, win wild and uh, be footloose and fancy free And it's, um, it's really a lovely, lovely film, uh, and um, uh, you know, you'd probably enjoy it quite a lot. Uh, we have How to Get There from Here. This is, this is really more of a sci-fi film than anything else. It's about this young man from this uh, uh, blue collar neighborhood. And he goes back home after the death of his mother. And he finds this cardboard time machine he built when he was a little kid. <laughs> and I'll be damned if that time machine don't work. That's great. And he uses it to explore some, some of the choices that he's made. It's, like, it's a clever little film that sort of you know, allows folks to look back over the arc of their life when they're involved in a, a critical moment, the death of his mother, and sort of make some judgments about the things they've done and where they want to go from here. How to get, how to get from here to there. It's that lovely film. This is another little thriller. Uh, and I like that these movies are mostly just genre films uh, with, you know, sort of gay themes yeah. and gay content. But they're just genre films. This one. And then there was Eve. The young woman wakes up. Her house has been ransacked. Everything's been taken, uh, including uh, all of the photos of her husband who is missing. Uh, she gets a little desperate after a little while trying to find her husband. The police are not being very helpful. She runs into a woman named Eve. Uh, Eve is a pianist, but she seems to have a sort of Agatha Christie sort of uh, vibe about her. She can mm-hmm. figure things out. So she and this pianist named Eve uh, set about figuring out what happened to her life, what happened to her husband. Uh, and as she comes to realize that something uh, terrible probably happened to her husband, but you know, more than likely at his own hands, she starts to fall in love with Eve. And it's really sort of interesting In the movie, moving little story. Uh, and then there is this very uh, hardcore psychological uh, thriller here um, called the skin of the skin of the teeth. This is about a guy that goes on a date, a uh, perfectly normal date. Takes a pill when he not doesn't really wake up from the pill, but when he comes around, he finds himself in a horrible, oh, a no. horrible situation. Oh, well, this is why you don't want to take pills when you go out on. <laughs> no, <laughs> anyway, the it, crazy interrogation is the whole thing that's going on. It's a hell of a thrilling little film. That's only have that much to do with being gay, which is again what I like about these yeah. films. See, they they're making genre films. The characters are gay, but the content nece- isn't necessarily so interesting.
0: Much. Very interesting. That's a that is a that is certainly a change. That's a shift. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some new films, and let's talk about the big one this week. Uh, another uh, another barn burner for Jordan Peele. Yeah. Um, with us. Well, Jordan has
1: completely reconceived or. Well, he hasn't reconceived, actually. He has, he, he has reminded us of what horror films can be for. Yeah, Horror films were always uh, for something other than just making you scared. They were yeah. the point at things in society. Uh, he's reminded us that they can be satirical. Yeah, And he reminded us, uh, or he's taught us, uh, that they don't have to look like what you, they used to look like.
0: And see, what I? what's interesting to me is if you look at horror films, they they definitely go in phases. You go from the universal horror films, actual which, were, which were actual was- monsters... Uh, to not a lot of metaphor in those. No, maybe Dracula. To to then the Cold War stuff, Ah, which is you know invasion of the body snatchers and uh, gigantic ants, Night of the Living Dead, and and uh, you know endless adaptations of things like Turn of the Screw, like Mm. The Innocents, and all you know. Then you start to get into some really interesting stuff, and then and then by the seventies, much as I love them. But they you, you get two directors who just kind of screw everybody because they become so iconic. One of them being John Carpenter, mm. who comes up with Halloween and then with uh, Hills Have Eyes, mm. you get Toby, and, uh... to- Toby Hooper, obviously, yeah. is, is another one, obviously, with the with the Texas Chainsaw. But uh, Wes Craven and John Carpenter were the two who really re- repeatedly did things mm-hmm. from from Hills Have Eyes all the way to Nightmare on Elm Street with Wes Craven, and then John Carpenter for you know Halloween and endless Halloweens and mm. and everything else that he. They, they
1: launched things. They are they, still making Hills Have Eyes, and,
0: and you know you kind and and that got us off on like a slasher yeah. vibe, right? It was all, and that leads us into everything like torture porn and the Saw films and all mm-hmm. the rest of that. And what Jordan Peele has done is he said. No, let's no. Let's kind of push all that away. We've we've had our fill of that for 30 years. Uh and he's, you know, he's not much younger than you or I. No, no. Yeah. And he 40. grew and and you your review of um uh, of us yeah. was really interesting because you underlined the influence of the work of
1: Ira Levine, Yeah. Uh, the wonderful novelist who who of course uh, and, and screenwriter uh, Rosemary's Baby and uh, all the way up through Sliver in the early yeah. 90s. Uh, and, Ira Levin the Stepford Wives all that kind of stuff yeah. you can see if you can tell Jordan Jordan I happen to know that he grew up in New York on on the on the, uh, on, the uh, on the east side. And I happen to know Mr. Levine lived mm-hmm. on the East Side yeah. too, and you could you could see the influence of that. Jordan grew up watching television like you and I sure. do in movies, yeah. And that sort of influence you can see in these movies very, very, very clearly. The sort of paranoia, uh, uh, the sort of uh, questioning of what is real and what is not, um, uh, and so all of that with a little bit of contemporary. Um, uh, fears and concerns insinuated into his stories get out before, and of course, this movie, Us, and you and you find yourself in a in, in a very very scary, sure, yeah, but fascinating film that's speaking to a number of things more than just sort of making you go boo.
0: I I am so grateful that he because you know I I have never I have not been a horror fan for a long time, but I'm grateful that he's making horror films that 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 aren't sort of going boo every five seconds. Yeah. They're designed to make my skin crawl. Yeah. Not sort of make me, oh, you know, oh, because that's easy. It's, it's always a loud clapping noise. Sure. And it's usually some, you know, some, something that comes from off screen and, and just shocks you. And, and then you put the boom sound effect and, and yeah. people jump. That's cheap. But to give me something that makes my skin crawl because I identify things that are true in mm-hmm. it. When you start speaking to truth and you're, you're peeling the layers off of a really uncomfortable truth, and then you're asking me to think about it. Yeah. You present it to me in an intellectual way. Now I'm on board. Exactly. Now you're respecting me. Exactly. This is Polanski, of yeah, course. That's uh, yeah. That's it. Polanski is, so cool. is... They are nice different. And and he kind of is our new Polanski yeah. in a way, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Who Very... would have fought from Key and Peele? <laughs> you get, no, you, you know, get. you know what I'm saying. You get Roman Polanski. Yeah. Uh, you get, you get, you get, he'd become a Roman Polanski. That's <laughs> uh, so fat. He's, he's anyway. It's, so it's a terrific we've, film. We've
1: got the 4K Ultra. It, it, this thing is just packed full of all kinds of stuff. We did check out the Blu-ray, the 4K. Um, so, uh, and of course, this is one of those films that was just full of Easter eggs, even as you watch it. Yeah. As you watch the film, um, and, and, and watch it again and watch it again, each time you come away with a, <gasps> yeah, you know, those sort yeah. of moments, and, and you know, and and you 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 you, you feel more clever <laughs> the, the more often yeah. you watch this film, and you realize how deeply clever Mr. Peel is. Yeah. Excellent, excellent work. Good performances in this movie, by the way. Uh, Winston Duke and Lupita Nyong'o, really, really good work, uh, all
0: the way around. I. It, it, the one thing too that I want people to really pay attention to with jordan peel is is yes, he won an Oscar and he writes really interesting stuff and and this is it begins in the writing but he is he sta he takes some enormous risks in the way that he stages scenes yeah he really does like he and and you saw that already even in some of the sketches in Kean peel mm-hmm. um which i should have paid attention more attention to at the time, but he is very aware of camera work. He's very aware of interrupting performance and mm-hmm. the flow of a scene with too much cutting and mm-hmm. too much coverage. Mm-hmm. And he takes great pains to really choreograph a scene so that it's organic, so that it flows, and so that the geography of the scene is utilized in the most effective way. It's it's really, really smart, mature directing. It's yeah. very impressive. Yeah, lovely marriage. Yeah, really, really, and, and really great. Good stuff. Where are we going? Let's see. Uh, I'm going to talk about Lords of Chaos. Okay. And uh this is a this is a weird troublesome film. So Lords of Chaos uh, features a very very disturbing Rory Culkin performance. Uh, <laughs> it is supposed to be scary uh and and disturbing, but the, the here's the here's the ultimate <laughs> problem with this. It, it's kind of overly fictionalized. This is a um this is based in a book, a 1998 book, which was also called Lords of Chaos, which is uh, about the black metal scene in 1990s Norway. And uh, uh, it is, um, I, I guess, I, I assume that Mayhem was an actual band and that Euronymous was an actual <laughs> person, uh, apparently. So, but the rest of this is is very... You know, it's very fictionalized. And it's not really... If this were like, just like a musical drama about black metal... But mm. no, it gets in... It, it becomes like it tries to be a thriller. It tries to be a horror film. It tries to be a procedural. And it and it goes in all these places which wind up sort of being stereotypical about these really dark metal movements that I don't think are necessarily true. I mm. think it's all kind of urban myth. Uh, but, you know... It it means to be shocking. This is the uncensored director's cut. It's kind of shocking, but not really. Um, it's a Blu-ray DVD combo set. And I can't really recommend this for anybody unless you want to <laughs> see unless you want to see the young Culkin kind of go completely off the rails. Uh also got a thing here called the Slaughterhouse Rules. I, there's no the. It is just Slaughterhouse Rules. Mm. R-U-L-E-Z. Um this is. This is actually eccentric and fun and cute, uh, all at the same time. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg are in this. Uh, they didn't write it and direct it, so it's not their. You know, they don't own it. But they're they, br- they're, uh, yeah. But they bring the same. But they bring that same sensibility to it. It's sort of in the pocket with stuff like Shaun of the Dead and all that junk. Um, so it's it's got a similar kind of a sophisticated British uh, naughty genre vibe it's 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 kind of nasty but anyway the idea is that slaughterhouse is the name of this boarding school and uh it's supposed to funnel you know the uh, the men the women who go there into prestigious social situations um but uh there there's a there's fracking uh nearby and that, that opens up uh a sinkhole and Guess What comes out of the sinkhole? Mm. I won't tell you, but uh, it, it's it basically winds up being Shaun of the Dead. Uh, you know, it's a monster movie. Come on, it, it is what it is. Uh, Ace of Butterfield is in this and he's fine. Michael Sheen camps it up and he's kind of funny. Um, so I mean, it's cute, it's uh, it's only on DVD, but it's 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 fine, it's perfectly acceptable. Uh,
1: I've got one here called Run the Race. Um, which is a lovely sort of uh, slightly faith-based film. Yeah. From executive producer Tim uh, 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 Tebow, um, who uh, played football for a while. Tebow, Tebow,
0: Tebow. Yeah. Yeah, I think, football He's, playing, player, he's right? playing. He's playing baseball now. Really? Yeah. He pulled. He pulled. He pulled a Michael Jordan. He pulled. A, no, Bo. A Bo Jackson. Yeah. He's. Yeah. Except, I think it's minor league ball. Oh, I think well, he's a, yeah. doing minor league ball because he's just, I don't know, he's yeah. bored or something. I, I don't know. I, I, I,
1: I, I don't watch a lot of football, so, you yeah. know, that's interesting. Um, so anyway, from him and his brother, it's called Run the Race. Uh, it's a story about a young brother, a young man uh, whose mother passes away, whose father leaves, and he's, and he's sort of left abandoned. as him and his big brother. He turns his life toward football, which, you know, thus the football thing comes in. And it's all about how he and his brother uh, work together to maintain uh, his skills and his dream. And you know, so he can have a, they can sacrifice some stuff for today so they can have themselves a better tomorrow. And that's just a lovely notion. This is a sweet-ass movie and I like it a lot. Um, uh, with a fairly, with a, fairly uh, a decent cast. Uh, not a lot on this, this except for a couple of bonus features. The making of the movie and the cast talks a little bit. Eh.
0: Run the race. Well, there it is. By the way, he plays, Tim Tebow plays for the uh, New York Mets. Minor, minor. okay, yeah, 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 good for him. Still playing. I, uh, that's interesting. All right, uh, a dark place is uh, is pretty good. This is uh, directed by Simon Fellows, who who is 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 quite good. This is something that would have been theatrically released by say a uh, a Sony Pictures Classics or a an October Films Once Upon a Time, and now it goes straight to Blu-ray. Uh, but it's actually it's it's actually quite good this is a uh, a very kind of grown up intelligent mystery thriller um about a guy who's basically a garbage driver garbage truck driver and uh befriends a, a kid in the neighborhood and then when the kid uh disappears uh, he has to it be it it has obviously an, it leads to it leads him in a certain direction. let's just say that it leads him in a certain direction, and it's not where you think it's necessarily going to go. Yes, he becomes kind of an investigator he kind of goes becomes like a rogue um detective of sorts but um it has it 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 has a, it 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 creates a situation in the town and um it winds up having a very interesting commentary on um small social circles and communal trust and it's it's quite interesting what it does it's uh it's quite well written and uh it's very competently directed simon fellows is a very very good job written by brendan higgins and anchored by a really really wonderful performance by andrew scott an actor with whom i am not that familiar but i hope to see more of him because he's he's quite good uh and then also on uh, dvd i want to make a quick mention of 11 which is a low budget world war one movie uh like a really low budget World War 1 movie from Monarch but man is it impressive what they do with not uh a lot of resources they uh they really do a wonderful job of recreating in mood what they don't have money to recreate in scale and uh it's uh this you know World War 1 doesn't get treated enough in movies anymore we've mm. kind of uh even World War 2 doesn't get treated often enough we've moved on to Gulf War yeah, and others well, yeah, and, you what know are you do whatever your... the most recent war is that's yeah. always the one that gets the treatment but um, this is good. This is about a bunch of guys who, you know, um, this is about the psychology of war and the psychology of service in war. And uh, it's, it all takes place on the last day of World War I, mm. and, uh, which is always an interesting question. You know, the war is about to end. Uh, at what point do you pull the plug psychologically? Mm, yeah, and and how do you do it? And are you able to do it? It's very do you, interesting. When did you
1: stop being a warrior? Yep. Uh, Corbin Burns and Corbin Burns actually directs uh, quite a lot of. Uh, I didn't again, know that.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, until again, I saw that come in, so I was like, really. He's, oh.
1: Sort of slightly face-based films. I like yeah. the way he does them. They're really sort of lovely. Uh, So this one is about a man who loses his wife, played by Mary Lou Henner, in in this particular movie. Uh, Under fairly uh, odd circumstances, uh, while grieving, a dog shows up in his backyard, just this dog. Tries to get rid of the dog, tries to get rid of the dog, dog won't go. Dog never barks, though. Dog never barks. Dog just won't leave. Uh, eventually, he names the dog, Dog, and starts hanging out with <laughs> the dog. Dog starts hanging out <laughs> yeah, with him. Yeah. And it's all, about, it's all about reclaiming faith. There's a bit of a mystery going on in this yeah. story again, too. So, again, doesn't sit right on top of it. Yeah. They're getting better at these. They're yeah. getting better at these. doesn't sit right on top of it. Dire- written and directed by Corbin Burnson. It's a lovely movie. I uh, haven't seen Mary Lou Henner in a while, so that was kind of cool, too.
0: A thing called Wonder Park, uh, an animated film, which is fine for kids. Uh, the the thing that this really did for me, and I, you know, this is, I mean, CG animation seems to be so easy to do now. Uh, and I that doesn't that isn't to say that it's easy, but there are small companies that are able to do movies yeah. with CG animation. If you buy that, enough computer power, you can get it. That's there. it. That's it. Uh, so this is all about uh, this little girl whose name is June. By the way, it's Toy Story Four. Fantastic. Oh, loved really? It. Loved it. Loved it. Better Absolutely than 3?
1: Because for me, that's a 1-3 situation. I mean, a 3-1 situation. Here's
0: the thing. Here's the thing. It kind of reboots it a little bit, but the difference being, I was not a parent when I saw Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. Toy Story 4 kind of reboots it with a little girl at the center of it. Ah. I'm a dad. I got a little girl. Ah. I saw it on her last day of kindergarten, and there's a scene in there where the little girl goes to kindergarten orientation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It it (laughs) was just the wrong day for me to see this thing. I was going to love it no matter what. Uh, I had a great time with it. Outstanding. Uh, So, anyway, Wonder Park uh, is about a little girl named June who... for reasons that I won't get into, the, 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 the theme park she's always dreamed of winds up coming to life, complete with all the bells and whistles and animals and doodads and all the stuff. It's just, it's, uh, and, and it winds up becoming like a, uh, a sort of a, a mission, an existential journey uh, come to life. It's, it's really, it's, it's cute. It ultimately doesn't hang together, but it's got a lot of good moments and uh, it's got a lot of fun extras on it as well. There's, uh, there's an iTunes digital movie code on it. And uh, the thing that I kept thinking of while watching this, really good voice work, by the way, here from uh, especially Jennifer Garner, Matthew Broderick, and Keenan Thompson. They do the best stuff. John Oliver and Mila Kunis are fine. Mm. Uh, but the, uh, the thing I kept thinking of is uh, a, a book, a, new, a, a newly released called The Amusement Park by my friend Stephen Silverman, mm-hmm. who wrote Stanley Donnan's biography, also wrote a biography of David Lean years ago. Uh, and he was just on AirTalk talking, oh, yes. talking to Larry. Yes, that's right. He was on just yesterday. And uh, I went and heard him do a big presentation at the Santa Monica Library the other day. Fabulous. Uh, and, I'm, and I don't see theme parks and amusement parks the same way at all anymore. Stephen ha- has written an amazing book, and we're going to try to get him on this podcast to talk about uh, his new book at some point. He's on his big press tour right now, so I'm not going to harass him and uh, you know, take him out of, his, out of his groove, but when he's got a moment, Probably uh, catch him on Skype or on the phone, and we'll uh, we'll get him to talk about uh, the amusement park. Which yeah, is
1: all the all the background that he does, particularly uh, the stuff that he talked about related yep. to stuff here in L.A. Knott's Berry Farm yeah, and what it used to great. be, what used to be at the corner of Beverly. It's just fantastic I know. stuff. Fantastic. Um, a lovely a lovely sort of romance called "All You Ever Wished For," uh, which is sort of sweet. Uh, a, a young uh, New York sort of fashion guy goes off to Milan to take a business trip, gets kidnapped. Uh-huh. Uh, whisk off to some sort of Alpine village. Little does he know, uh, the woman uh, who runs the spot, the, the the hotel at the Alpine village, is a gypsy, and she has put a spell uh, on that on that little hotel. And the first person that each of these men see, including him and his abductors, they're going to fall in love. With mm-hmm. uh, it's one of those, you know. And, and you know what? This is just so sweet. Perfectly lovely, beautiful little film that people will thoroughly enjoy. This used to be the kind of film that, that got theatrical releases and would do well. Um, uh, and nowadays, you're gonna the only way you're gonna see a film like this is uh, you know you pick it up on DVD or you wait for it to stream, but you'll but you'll miss it otherwise. Don't miss this perfectly lovely little film starring Darren Chris. It's really really sweet.
0: So you've got a thing here called Crypto. This is a Blu-ray and digital uh, uh, digital copy combo set from Lionsgate through gr- or, or from Grindstone through Lionsgate. Grindstone again does all these really kind of cheesy action films and and then movies about talking animals. Yeah, it's that's what they do. It's two it's two tiered. They have two prongs. Anyway, uh, so here's what they do. They hired a bunch of actors. They just threw money at a bunch of name people: Alexis Bledel, Luke Hemsworth, and Kurt Russell. And said, be in our crappy movie about a ridiculous subject and, uh, and, and then don't complain. Yeah. And that's what happens. And this is, this is something that basically the mob, is the, like some global syndicate, is laundering money through an art gallery. And uh, Bo Knapp, with whom I'm not that familiar as an actor, but he's fine. So uh, Bo Knapp is the, uh, the, the Wall Street guy. Uh, who discovers this thing going on, and then you know it becomes very Hitchcockian and kind of man on the run, blah 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 blah. Uh, Luke Hemsworth is fine. Uh, Kurt Russell is sort of going through the motions, and Alexis Bledel still looks like she's 18 years old, yeah. which is astonishing to me. Um, it's not great. It's not horrible. It's just kind of grindstony. Well, this
1: sucks. Uh, Kiss Kiss <laughs> Dallas <laughs> King. This will make up for how that one's not all that bad. Uh, there's an actor in this film named Robert Wagner he's not that Robert Wagner he's this young guy Yeah, Robert Wagner yeah. you should probably put like an E or something in there Robert E. Wagner or something you know what I'm saying yeah. you really don't want anybody going around thinking you're Robert Wagner then again I suppose you have to be of a certain age to even know who the other Robert Wagner was if you're right. you know, under 50 maybe you right. don't even know who that is I wonder if this guy even knows he's named after notice how I'm talking about him and not the stink ass movie he's in because <laughs> the stink ass uh-huh. movie Kiss Kiss it's about these uh, uh, four, four strippers and you know, they decide to Go out for uh, um, uh, a day in, in, in the valley drinking uh, wine. Uh, One of them takes it out there. They get kidnapped by this guy. Uh, of course. Uh, and, they, and they get forced into these death fights. Uh, of course. So, did. you know, you, I hate it when strippers get kidnapped and forced <laughs> into these death <laughs> fights. It's so dumb. Uh, in any case, uh, bonus features behind the scenes stuff, a few deleted scenes, and blah, blah, blah. Audit director's audio commentary Kiss Kiss, a film by Dallas King.
0: All right, so uh, the last of the new movies today, I got a bit of a story about. So, the man who killed Don Quixote, uh, released by and uh, theatrically and on uh, Blu-ray by Screen Media. Uh, th- this is the uh, Terry Gilliam film that was oh, never yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. It was uh, originally supposed to be a Johnny Depp film. Anyway, look, here's the story. Terry Gilliam his whole life has wanted to make the story The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. It's a it's a kind of a variation on uh, Don Quixote and and the whole La Mancha fable mm-hmm. that combines a a present day thing where there's a there's a they're making a movie about Don Quixote and then this it's like the it's very meta, right? The mm-hmm. director who's making it winds up falling into a an unexpected life adventure that mirrors yeah. the story of Don Quixote, and and then some weird sort of fantastical existential things start happening, and it get it means to get a little time bandity, yeah. and a little Brazili. It's very much a Terry Gilliam thing.
1: It's it, back when he was first going to do it. It was back when Terry still built built things. Yes,
0: uh, before CGI. When he got budget, great sets. Yeah. So here's the story of this. I, I have a very interesting story on this because I'm kind of part of this in a peripheral way. Uh, the original Terry Gilliam film was, uh, you know, back in the back in the '90s. Uh, mm-hmm. Was supposed to star Johnny Depp, and uh, had a, had a whole different cast. Famous French actor was going to play uh, uh, Don Quixote. Jean Jean, Jean, Jean
1: Rochefort. Right? Jean, Jean Rochefort, yeah. exactly.
0: Jean Rochefort was going to play Don Quixote, and. Um, uh, this was going to be bonded by, and if you don't know how, how movies work, uh, movies with a certain budget need to have a completion bond. You pay mm-hmm. a certain percentage to a completion bond ca- company, which guarantees that the mo- for the investors that the movie will be finished in some form. And if it doesn't meet certain certain metrics, then they get to come in and take it over and make sure that a saleable product is completed. So it's like you get bonds when you do construction projects as well, and uh, it's it's basically a reinsurance mm-hmm. thing. So the at the time uh the uh the completion bond company that was going to bond this or was considering bonding it my wife was basically their their vetter and that's what she does she tells you whether or not your movie makes sense uh, very very talented producer she is and we, by the way our short film went fabulous we oh, shot yeah. last week well i Fantastic. thought yeah, it really no good doubt. it was very stressful long nights but <laughs> but she she nailed it uh and so did our buddy who who wrote and directed it so um I sent you the pictures, too. It doesn't oh, even yeah. look like a short film. No, like it, looks like, thir- it
1: looks like a Lawrence of Arabia. It it's looks like, like
0: th- 30 people and rubble and Syrian war recreation. What the hell's going on here? It's a short film. What kind of short film? Anyway, so, um, so I remember very clearly the day. I'm sitting there watching something horrible on TV, and my wife finishes reading the script, the Terry Gilliam script. And um, she looks at me, and she tosses it in my lap, and she says, can't be done under budgeted by more than half hmm. read it tell me what you think I'm like oh okay well that's kind of mean <laughs> or <laughs> it's true ter- it's a Terry Gilliam film <laughs> you know and but her feeling was Terry uh, Terry Gilliam tends to have problems on his movies he's he's, he's, he's kind of you know every one of them All something always goes wrong yeah and she said, "This just—it's like—it's a it, these flights of fancy and the imagination and recreation of you know moments from the story and this—and it's just too opulent. There's just too much going on. You don't have the, for, no, for that budget. For that budget, it's yeah. not—it's not not realistic. And um, so I read it. Very interesting. I thought, well, I could see Terry Gilliam knocking it out of the park with this. You know, you give him enough money, but you—you you tell me. I don't know what budget this needs. Anyway, uh, my wife advised against it. They went ahead and did it anyway because it was Terry Gilliam. Next thing you know." They, the the set gets washed away by a flood and the, the Jean Rochefort breaks his leg and everything goes wrong yeah. everything that can go wrong does go wrong and the, and the movie never gets made but the documentary about the making of the movie Lost in La Mancha mm-hmm. that gets made and uh, becomes more than a DVD extra it becomes its own standalone film mm-hmm. and a very very good one made by the guys who did the Hamster Factor which was an extra on Twelve um, Monkeys Twelve Monkeys yeah which as it turns out a very good friend of ours in the UK, represented one of the filmmakers, and uh, his, his dad was an investor in that documentary mm-hmm. and made a pretty penny off it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all, all unbeknownst to us, we found this up, out during a trip to London once. But in any case, that brings us forward to the present day, where Terry Gilliam finally took another bite at the apple. Instead of a Johnny Depp movie, it uh, now becomes an Adam Driver movie. And uh, he winds up getting Jonathan Price to play. You know, his old trusty buddy Jonathan Price from Brazil plays uh, Don Quixote, which is good casting. Throw in Stellan Skarsgård and, you know, Olga Kirilenko and, you know, a bunch of other name actors. And uh, a fragment of the budget he was even going to have on the first time around. And what do you get? You get a really underbaked movie that mm. could have been great if they had had more money. Yeah. And that's what you get. Which is what um, the problem was in the first it's place. It's always been the problem. And it's really unfortunate. Uh, there are some wonderful moments in it, it, but it doesn't hang together. It just doesn't quite hang together. And, um, you know, it's very sad. I, I wish it were better. But... Um, it it it's going to be you know one of Terry Gilliam's most talked about films. It had its own problems, which included <laughs> being sued by the investor who tried to shut it down and yeah. prevent it from even being released, uh, and a fight over final cut. So it still wasn't out of the woods, but it is now on Blu-ray. It is uh, it is out of his mind, the monkeys off his back. So yeah. hopefully Terry can find it in, in himself to do something else. Yeah, now. think about
1: something else because Terry's uh, Doctor Ma- Doctor P- uh, the Imaginarium, oh, the I mean, Doctor Parnassus. Oh my god. Terry's been gone for a while now. You know, yeah. Uh, so that's unfortunate. A yeah. little TV? TV. Let's do TV. Uh, you and I both love the reboot, reimagination uh, 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 imagination of uh, Lost in Space. Yes. The oh my first gosh. season. Oh I, loved my gosh. I love this my Gosh, I love this show. Uh, so, Lost in Space, what we're we'll called, the sort of campy uh, uh, Guy Williams and all this stuff yeah, you know, with yeah, Billy yeah. Mummy and all the Dr. And all that. Forget about all that. No. They take it they take dead serious. The Robinson family goes yeah. into the space, they reconfigure. Things a bit, but all the familiar characters are still there. Yeah, uh, you got Poser Parky, just Parker Posey. It. Parker Posey. Thank you, <laughs> Posey Parker. Parker Posey playing Doctor Smith, and yeah. just killing it. Totally psychotic the way she plays him. Nothing like what's, what's, what was going on before. Love that they made uh, Will Robinson a much younger boy. Yeah, uh, than he, than Billy Munday yes. was during that series. It's it, 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 it's it's a very clever thing they do because they make him because he's so young. Yeah, but still brilliant. Yeah, he can be afraid. He's scared yeah. of what's happening. They, they, they go off into space. Just the same thing's going on. I love what they do with the two daughters. Uh, love uh, the two daughters. The two daughter love Penny. them so much. They're, 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 they're smart. They're strong. Yep. Uh, the mom, uh, played by June yep. Lockhart in the series, who was sort of like uh, the mom from Leave it to Beaver, <laughs> yeah. even in the Lost in Space series. Not that in this no, series. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, she's the brains behind the operation. Dad is right there, but he's a Marine.
0: Dad is Molly Molly Parker. Molly Molly Parker. Parker, Parker, Molly Parker. Parker Great Canadian actress plays the mom, and she's. I mean, I've always loved Molly Parker, but she's so perfect here. Toby Stevens plays the dad. Yeah, um, Yeah. who's also been in Black Sales. No, it is. uh, It is. It is just an absolutely terrific new show. I love it. The new season is coming out soon, which is why I'm glad this is out finally now on Blu-ray. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. The the, the actresses who who play the daughters are just...
1: Uh, Taylor, uh, uh, what's her name, the, 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 the young black actress, Canadian black, Taylor Russell is her Taylor name. Taylor Russell. And I love Judy the way they construct Judy. the story. And Mina
0: Sundwall plays, uh, plays Penny.
1: And, and Taylor's black and Julius white. They're both the children of Molly Parker. And I love the way yeah. they, they, they account for that Yeah. because Molly had a life before she met that dad. They had that baby. Uh, and, and it's just really, really good. And... and the way they frame the story out of that first yeah. season, it's
0: absolutely thrilling. The robot is not the robot. It is not. That, and that's what makes it so – well, it's the way that they switch up the robot. Yeah. Well, they, they, they do they do a lot of things. And look, it's not scientifically, it's no more believable than the original yeah, well, show. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But it it does ask some big existential questions. And it, it has a, a future Earth scenario that is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It it switches up Doctor Smith with with uh, with Parker Posey. It switches up the robot, mm-hmm. makes it really really interesting. Mm-hmm. It switches up the family dynamic, so they're not just sort of this perfect nuclear family, like you yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. You know, the there, there it's sort of it's a it's a it's almost a Brady Bunch kind of scenario yeah, with yeah, fam- yeah. And honestly, that scene. Where Judy is trapped oh inside my god. the opening water. Opening
1: scene, uh, opening scene, the pilot episode.
0: Oh it's, my god! It's one of the best things I've ever seen on television. The most
1: thrilling thing. I, one of the
0: most thrilling Phenomenal.
1: thing. I, it really, really got me going. No, Beautiful. It's so, uh, so good. Uh, great on Blu-ray. Uh, all kinds of stuff on this, including uh, the unaired pilot from the original 1965 yeah. series. Now in yeah. color. Don't know that I like
0: that. Which is but which is that's what they went back to. That was before Dr. Smith was added, added because to, it was yeah. originally supposed to be the Swiss family Robinson in outer space. And the original show deviated from that. These guys were smart enough to say maybe that was a great idea originally. Let's go and, back to and that. And basically redo what they yeah. were going to do before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we got Drop Dead Diva the complete series. You know, I never really cared for this. Uh I know what they were going for and it never felt like they quite achieved it. Um it's the, you know, the whole inner beauty thing, uh shallow howl kind of inverted for television. I get it. I know what I know what you're trying to do and this is, you know, what is beauty, and and what does it mean to I? I yeah, I, I we've we've all you know been in in that. I've seen that movie and that TV show a million times. However, there is a a supernatural aspect to this where you know you a whole reincarnation thing, and um it, it, like you know it, the it's like the body switching movies melded with that. I don't know. It it, it never really pays off its premise. It 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 opens up more issues than it's ever really able to to grapple with however it has some nice guest starring bits and some nice performances and a lot of people really enjoyed it it ran for 6 seasons incredibly which i was always amazed by so it is now out uh, on dvd complete season from mill creek and um never mind me if you like it ah uh
1: first season of swing town a 2008 series uh which also starred molly parker interesting enough yep. and this is this is an interesting little season Only you know, only after one had the one season set in 1976 uh right there at uh well uh, i guess it was america's uh 200th birthday anyway um and you have you have these sort of suburban couples who are doing the sort of 70s swinging thing man Uh, Because, you know, that's apparently what happened in the 70s. Which, by the way, I was alive in the 70s. I was like a teenager, and that didn't happen at all. It's a few weird places in New York, maybe. Uh, Maybe Florida. Nevertheless, this was a fun series. Uh, Love the hair. Love the uh, Dacron polyester outfits. Uh, but you know, didn't ask for that. <laughs> long. Uh, season two of Killing Eve picks up exactly where season one lives uh, uh, leaves off. So if you watch uh, season one, you'll know what that means. Uh, somebody died at the end of season one, uh, and we're gonna pick up right there and roll forward. Um, th- this was pretty good. I didn't watch a, didn't watch all of season one of this. This is a two disc set, uh, but folks really like this um, uh, show quite a lot. I, like I said, not that big of a fan, but if you liked season one of Killing Eve, season two picks up right where it leaves off and presses forward from there. A few bonus features on this, uh, including including uh, a, a little primer that helps you get caught up to what happened in season one if you don't want to go through watching all that stuff again. All right, talk. Uh,
0: Shangri-La is a TV series that I had never heard of before. Um, it started in 2016. Season one is now out on Blu-ray, and uh, they sent us the season one CD soundtrack as well as the Blu-ray. And uh, boy, these guys are really, really, they're, 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 they're pushing it. There's um, this is really a labor of love. It's a, you know, it's a low budget uh, kind of standalone series about Hollywood and making it in Hollywood and uh, being homeless and having dreams and uh, and all of this stuff that you really probably don't fully process unless you live around it nonstop all the time, like we do. And, it really does capture something it 's really a it 's a, it's a really sweet little series it's um, there 's not not a ton of money that went into it, but there 's a lot of passion and clearly a lot of uh, a lot of belief they really uh, th- these people just kind of poured their hearts into this into this series from the ground up and and it feels like it 's got a real I, I, I don't i hate to say mumblecore but it 's kind of like a low budget mumblecore comedy yeah. series mm. and uh, it really does capture something here It captures something very very uh, specific about Los Angeles that uh, a lot of others just haven't, and uh, I find it very, very charming. I uh, am looking to seeing other series, uh, other seasons in the series as well, uh, and some wonderful performances here. Wonderful actors that uh, you can go on to do other things. Mark Borchert, uh Jesse Conweiler, Sean Hanley, um, Nick Summer. Some of these, some of these names are are going to be you're going to you're going to know them eventually. Written and uh, or, or edited and directed by Drew Rosas. And uh, uh, check it out. See if you can find it around. Shangri-La, and the la obviously being L.A. It's a little play on words. Shangri-La, season one on Blu-ray.
1: Uh, very, 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 very loosely um, uh, based on true events of uh, the Black Dahlia case here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Some, some, some many, many years ago. I am the Night stars Chris Pine and in India Isley. Um, uh, an interesting sort of conceptualization of that period of of of, of that period, 1965, 1950s, 1960s. Um uh this comes from patty Jenkins uh so you know it's sort of it's sort of conceived very nicely there um i don't know i rather i I enjoyed this a little bit it's uh created by Sam Sheridan uh who's created a couple of interesting series as well uh I would say that depending on whether or not you are a stickler for accuracy in the representation of historical crime fiction uh it, it will depend on how you feel about the series if you go into this thinking. Oh, uh, this is gonna uh, 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 reveal something for me about about that period, that Black Dahlia period. That's simply not going to happen um, uh, uh, with this with this series. It's, it, it, it it takes um, all kinds of flights of fancy away from that. Nevertheless, if you just look at this as a as a fairly as engaging uh, drama and thriller with a mystery at the center of it, it's actually not not particularly not particularly bad. Pretty good. Uh, you get inside the f- special features. You get inside the episodes. You get some uh, myths inside the Snowden House, ex- et cetera. Et cetera. And uh, who is Fana Hode, who is the central character of the series, who's played by Indy Asley, and she was a real person.
0: We're going to do some classic film stuff now. Uh, hitting, the, uh, hitting the Kino releases. Got a couple more from the American Film Theater line uh, of Kino Classics. That, of course, is the series of films that were uh, produced by Ely Landau back uh, primarily in the 1970s. All of them adapted from famous stage productions. We've talked about those in a uh, few recent weeks. Got two more there. Lost in the Stars, uh, by Kurt Vile and Maxwell Anderson, and then uh, Bertolt Brecht's Galileo, starring mm. Topol. The real killer here is Galileo, uh, because it was directed by Joseph Losey, the great Joseph Losey, and uh, John Gilgood and Patrick McGee and Tom Conti, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a pretty great cast. Uh, the but Losey's direction is really interesting. It's very uncharacteristic for what he did previously, but it is Brechtian which is the important thing. It's based on Brecht, so he decides to direct it in a very Brechtian way, and it's a Brechtian theatrical uh, cinematic fusion thing with wonderful performances, and uh, Topol is great, absolutely great, and uh, it's really worth checking out. The other one, uh, Lost in the Stars, I'm a little less enthralled by this one, Um probably because I just don't love the material quite as much. Brock Peters, Melba Moore, Raymond St. Jacques star in it. Whatever happened to Raymond St. Jacques? Oh, well, yeah,
1: wonderful black actor. Whatever, whatever happened to him? Yeah,
0: yeah. He just kind of had his moment in the 70s, and then he's gone, yeah. and he should still be around, I would think. Um, no, anyway, it's uh, you know it's based on the, uh, the novel Cry the Beloved Country, which has been made into a movie twice, and uh, I think both of the previous movies are better than this one, especially the most recent one, From gosh, it's been about twenty years now, right? The Mm. uh, the the the, the James Earl Jones one. Oh yeah, with with Richard Harris and James Earl Jones. That was about about twenty years ago, right? Yeah, if not more. Anyway, that was that is an amazing film, and that's really the the best year. But you know, in terms of the, I mean, what it says about you know apartheid era South Africa, and uh, and and you know, in when it was made in 1973, obviously that's a very very different vibe mm-hmm. as opposed to when the last Cry the Beloved Country was made, which is, you know, it post apartheid. So yeah. looking back on it. So I do cut it a little bit of slack, but still, um, you know, uh Brock Peters was better into Kill a Mockingbird. And um I don't know that I, I, I like this interpretation all that much. It's called Lost in the Stars. Mm. So uh, here's the rest of our Kino Classics line, and I'm going to go through this as fast as I possibly can. we got a special edition of Anthony Hopkins and Nixon, an Oliver Stone film that I despise. <laughs> I think Tim's a lot more f- uh, forgiving of it. I just think this is like a, a really obnoxious, and he plays uh, Nixon like a gargoyle. Uh, you know uh, it 's just it 's with the head and the whole thing it 's like I, I've, he wasn 't that ugly i
1: 've always i 've always appreciated that performance mostly
0: <laughs> yeah it 's got two audio commentaries on it uh, It includes the director 's cut and the regular cut um, the The commentary for the theatrical cut is uh, Jim hemphill who 's a film historian Oliver Stone does the director 's cut. And uh, then there's also, you know, a documentary and deleted scenes and commentary from Oliver Stone on the deleted scenes and a Charlie Rose interview with Oliver Stone, which is very disturbing to watch. And I don't know that the movie is that good. But there you go. If you love it. <clears throat> they, they, kept, they kept the Charlie Rose interview on there, did they? They did. Isn't that amazing? Interesting. Jack Nicholson in The Border. Oh, man, I love a, that movie. A, a better movie than it got credit for at the time, yeah, directed yeah. by Tony Richardson. The great the time. I know, it was a flop. It, it, it just really tanked. But, man, it's really, uh, looking back on it now, especially in the current in the, environment. In the current environment, yeah, you're kidding Yeah, yeah. Uh, Valerie Perrine play, is terrific as his wife, you know, uh, Jack Nicholson playing this really disturbed uh, uh, border agent. Um, Ry Cooter does a fantastic score for this thing. It's really, really good. Uh no this is a this is a sharp film Harvey Keitel and Warren Oates co-star very sharp well directed by Tony Richardson worth checking out uh, also have Thirst the uh, Park Chan Wook film which I know we're supposed to say Park Chan ook mm. I apologize to uh, for my bad Korean pronunciation um, this is uh, you know this is his vampire film I guess after watching. Uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, an old boy, and Lady Vengeance, it was inevitable that he would say, I've got to do a vampire movie, yeah. just like Abel Ferrara had to. Got to put my spin on that. It's not as good as his other films, but it's still pretty, pretty creepy. It really, really uh, pushes your buttons. Not a lot here. There's a uh, an entertainment uh, journalist commentary by Brian Reisman, and that's about it. But uh, it's on Blu-ray, and I'm glad because it is worth checking out. Mississippi Burning, one of my all-time favorite Alan Parker films from 1988. Uh, It got... uh, This film was... Was picked apart at the time because it's ultimately about, basically about two white FBI agents. It mm. takes the it takes a very very serious incident, a civil rights era incident, yeah, and turns it into a a detective procedural, yeah, which it probably shouldn't have at the time. Well, it makes uh, them the heroes of the it story. It makes them the heroes of the story. This was on its way to a Best Picture win, by yeah. the way, when that was raised as an issue, and then everybody got cold feet and said, eh, "We'll vote for Rain Man instead." Yeah. And now, and that's how Rain Man became that year's best picture winner. Uh, the same thing kind of happened with Zero Dark Thirty. Mm-hmm. People were like, "All oh, really? Do I? Uh, are you sure?" It kind of well, if it, just on the off chance that you, people think it condones torture, I'm going to vote for Argo instead. Yeah, exact same thing happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I think this is a better film than Rain Man, it does have that issue, but it's still really well made. There's some really good stuff in it. Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe are terrific, and. Uh, it's got the, you know, the 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 lynching montage in this thing will make your blood run cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only time I've ever seen that depicted in a film in any kind of a realistic way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's chilling. It's absolutely chilling. But um nonetheless, uh it, you know, it it remains a movie to be discussed and debated. Trevor Jones is a really good score on it, has an audio commentary by Alan Parker. And uh there it is. Uh the Brinks job, William Friedkin's very misguided movie about the uh, the Brinks uh heist, <laughs> famous Brinks heist. I read a book uh called Big St- uh, uh, on on the Brinks job at the time and uh which is much more interesting than this movie. It doesn't quite get the tone right. Um good score by Richard Rodney Bennett, audio commentary by a couple of film historians. Um but you know, I I don't I don't know it it uh, it's just it's a misfire for William Friedkin especially and and uh, and this tremendous All Star cast. Mm. Um, Michael Crichton was a director once upon a time, made a lot of really bad movies, and then he decided I'm just going to write novels that get made into better movies. So one of those really unusual movies wa- that he directed was called Pursuit with Ben Gazzara, Martin Sheen, and E. G. Marshall. And uh, they also get a comic artist and a film historian to do an audio commentary on here, which is okay. The movie is not great. Um, it's kind of the standard thing that he always does. It's the standard Westworld, Jurassic Park scenario, uh, 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 Andromeda strain. You know, science is uh, is is getting away from us, mm. and uh, we need to be beware. That's basically what it is. Um, it's a, but it's it's you know it's all about nerve gas and in the Republican convention and they're gonna you know it's and sabotage a little bit of Black Sunday in there too. It's really kind of it's kind of stupid, but Ben Gazzara is good. Uh, they might be giants is a wonderful movie with George C. Scott as Sherlock Holmes. I know you're thinking George C. Scott as Sherlock Holmes that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you wait till you see it. It's actually really really good. Anthony Harvey directed this, who did The, the Lion in Winter. It was produced by John Foreman. Um, it's actually a, a really unusual kind of... Uh, um, it's an interesting spin on the, uh, on, on the Watson-Holmes thing mm. because it, uh, it's not really a Holmes and Watson story. It's, uh, it's about a guy who thinks he's Sherlock Holmes and Joanne Woodward plays Watson and I, I won't go into all the different details about it. Uh, you need to see it. it. It obviously did you know the female Watson thing before Lucy Liu was was female Watson on television. F. Mary Abraham's in this thing. It's really a very, very sharp film from 1971. It deserves to be rediscovered, and um, I say check it out.
1: Lucy Liu's playing a blonde Watson on elementary this year
0: blonde really yeah she's blonde okay that's interesting yeah. uh, Stocker Channing in another forgotten classic from 1973 the girl most likely 2... this was before she did Greece obviously five years before she did Greece uh, this is a brand new transfer it's pretty good um, she uh, she is a um, she plays a, a, a college student who who um, Undergoes a transformation through plastic surgery, which changes her life. And uh, it's, it, it's a comment on beauty and uh, social const- constructs that still holds true. Mm. And it winds up being uh, really unusual. It was written by Joan Rivers, believe it or not, uh, or at least co-written by uh, Joan Rivers. Uh, and it's a very, very smart script and has a lot of really, really interesting uh, sporting performances in it, including Reb Brown, who is usually a terrible actor and shows up really good here. Chuck McCann is in this, too. Love Chuck McCann. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, just a few more here real quickly. Lana Turner in Madam X, uh, also co-starring Burgess Meredith and Keir DeLay and Ricardo Montalban really uh really a terrific cast this is from 1966 the last of a kind of quasi hitchcockian um adaptations at the time this is based on the play by alexander bisson and uh it is it's a it's a it's an it centers on on a blackmail incident and what happens 20 years later and uh, they, it's not originally very Hitchcockian, but they try to give it a Hitchcockian flair and a look at the time because that's what everybody was going for in the mid to late 60s with stories of this type, and uh, it's, it's, it's actually quite sharp. I still love it. I think Lana Turner is terrific in it. I think Burgess Meredith is great in it, and this also has a, uh, a couple of film critics and historians doing commentary. Mm. Arabian Adventure with Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Mickey Rooney. I know. What's Mickey Rooney doing with the uh, the Hammer horror guys? I don't know. It's, uh, you know, whatever. It's it's kind of like uh, Aladdin, except not, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but it's actually, in many respects, a better Aladdin than Aladdin was. Um, still, I I think it's worth checking out. If you've seen the new Aladdin, which I have very mixed feelings about, um, yeah, you might want to check this out. Christopher Lee is terrific as the evil caliph. And um, some really really fun special effects in this as well. Uh, It's a little bit of a mess. Uh, Kevin Connor, who did the land that time forgot, directed it, and um, you know Peter Cushing is in it just kind of for the for the for the ride along. Mickey Rooney is hilariously miscast, and uh, I check it out. Uh, the director doesn't does a commentary. This was from 1979. Films like this were already passé at the time because Star Wars and Close Encounters had changed the game. So this is like a 1960s movie in the end of the 1970s. Lana Turner also shows up in Portrait in Black, along with Anthony Quinn and uh, the fantastic John Saxton. Uh, you John know, this Sexton. is yeah, this is just uh, this is just kind of a standard um, second tier melodrama. It's a little bit of the Postman Always Rings Twice um from 1960 it's not tremendous but it's you know it's got a good sporting cast which includes Sandra D and Richard Basehart and Ray Walston of all people uh but you know not not the not not brilliant by any means Michael Gordon was kind of a journeyman director and He's sort of a journeyman. Sort of a journeyman film. Michael Caine in Kidnapped, mm. which is a, a Robert Louis Stevenson story that deserves a better adaptation than this. Uh, this is not terribly good. Michael Caine is really the only great thing in it. Uh, it has also has Jack Hawkins and Trevor Stewart, uh, Trevor Howard, who did a lot of this stuff at the time. All those adventure films—they always seem to show up in them. Uh, this, was one, this was an AIP release here, so it's very much kind of a, an attempt by Corman and, and Arkoff to, and, and Nicholson to do something that was more legit than what they usually did. Ah. All right, Tim, what do, we, uh, what do we have from Shout this Well, week? let's see. Uh,
1: a couple of different things, including this Universal Horror Collection, which is kind of cool. So you had um, the big boys. Um, oh, look at that, folks calling. Uh, you had the big boys, uh, Boris Koloff and Bella Lugosi. Uh, who created some of the most uh, cinematic, uh, memorable characters in the film. And then they did some movies together, uh, which is what this collection pulls together, The Black Cat, uh, The Raven, The Invisible Ray, and Black Friday puts those two wonderful horror icons in the same movies at the same time. And they're all a lot of fun. You can't go wrong when you got a movie with both Karloff and Lugosi in them. And and these movies uh, all work Uh, uh, pretty good, too. Uh, We also got Peter Cushing, and Frankenstein created Woman. So this is um, uh, Peter Cushing playing Frankenstein. This is an interesting uh, point in the series out of the 60s where Cushing uh, decided that he was going to start taking the souls of uh, ordinary people and insinuating those souls into the bodies of these creatures that he, uh, that he creates. It's kind of creepy. Lots of special features on this, including a new original 2K scan, which is kind of kind of nice. neat as well, as well as an audio, uh, uh, audio commentary. Uh, from a couple of film historians. El- Eli Roth. Eli Roth likes the kind of movies that we just talked about, so yeah. he makes them, yeah. uh, including The Green Inferno. Um, Eli Roth's The Green Inferno. An yeah. absolutely terrible movie. <laughs> um, uh, as are all of those. I mean, Eli gave us the Hostile series and all that kind of stuff. He, he likes the stuff. And for folks who dig it, I guess it's kind of it's interesting. This is a little bit ironic. Uh, a group of environmental activists fly to Peru to try to protect uh, the rainforest or whatever they're doing. And uh, they They crashed their plane, and the very tribe that they were going to Peru to protect uh, uh, tries to eat them.
0: There you go. That's what happens. happens. That's what happens. It happens a lot.
1: The entity. Barbara Hershey. Uh, back in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, uh, did a couple of interesting films, including this one about an invisible entity that keeps basically uh, raping her. I don't know that you could make this movie today. No, you
0: could not. Uh, you she, should every not. place she
1: goes, this this unseen entity just it's like has the its ultimate way with Me her. too. Oh yeah, you know, and uh, so don't know if you could do that today. Lots of special uh, uh, features on that too, by the way. Interviews with the actors Barbara Hershey and, and, and a few other folks. The Last Seduction is a Morgan Fairchild. The movie, Morgan Fairchild. Whatever happened to Morgan? Uh, she
0: looks great. I, I Still, can't imagine. She wouldn't. It's ridiculous. Uh,
1: beautiful blonde. Yeah. She plays this anchor woman in L.A. Uh, young Stephen Andrews becomes smitten with her. She you know, tries to play him off a little bit. It, it basically becomes one of those stalker films. and Nobody can help her. The cops can't help yeah. her. can't help her. The cops can't help her. Again, not sure you can make this movie today uh, in this context. But it is a, a film about a, a woman who eventually fights back. Uh, So maybe you could get away with that one. The Last Seduction, again, lots of special features on this. Interviews with the actors, Morgan and Stephen Andrews and Bruce Cohen and all the guys who were involved in the making of the film.
0: Uh, And we got a couple other Shout uh, titles here, which are obviously timed for uh, for, uh, Pride Month. Um, They are both part of the Shout Select line. They are numbered 80 and 81. The first one is to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie Newmar. Which of course uh, came on the heels of uh, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and is kind of the same thing. It's a drag. It's a drag movie. It's a drag road trip, yes. and it's basically it's basically ex- that exact thing, except not an Australian film, and it takes Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze. And John Leguizamo uh, about, it, about
1: 1995 or so. That's more than 20 uh, years ago. Yes. Ever, they, they, look great, they, they look great as girls in 1995. They, fa- they look fabulous. N- they would not be able to pull
0: any of that off no, today. No, they, <laughs> they certainly <laughs> would not. They would not do that today. Uh, yeah, well, Patrick Swayze no longer with us. Oh, Patrick is yeah. gone, yeah. But uh, but Leguizamo and, S- and Snipe still are, and they still look great, but they they wouldn't be uh, yeah, able to Wouldn't pass that. us ladies, no. No, couldn't do that. Uh, also makes me sad seeing Chris Pan in this, because Chris yeah, was Chris, still with us at the yeah. time. I knew Chris in uh, in junior high and high school, but uh, but you know I mean look, it's not great, uh, but it sort of pushes a lot of the same buttons. I would recommend Priscilla to anybody who's asking. It's a much better film, but nonetheless, this is there and it's got some extras on it: uh, a new little uh, making of, look back on the film, and some deleted scenes. The other one is Jeffrey, uh, oh, with the Stephen Stephen Weber, Stephen mm-hmm. Weber Patrick Stewart, Patrick. and Sigourney Weaver, kind of the uh, which which. Um, it's a little bit dated because it's very much rooted in the AIDS crisis uh as it bleeds into the 1990s Mike T. Weiss
1: Nin- in that film it used to be in the pretender yes the guy in the pretender that's yeah. when you could get away with having a bunch of straight people play gay people
0: yes yes you could and and, and this is very much kind of a romantic comedy uh of a of a type that was very is very specific to the 1990s but um and it's adapted from the uh, Paul rudnick uh Broadway play or off Broadway play I guess it was. Um and and it does a decent job. Patrick Stewart is hysterical. Oh yeah! If you're gonna see this for any reason, you see it for Patrick Stewart because he just he he. I mean, he gazes it up like oh, n- Jeffrey. N- n- no, oh, um, he is just so. And that is
1: post Jean Luc Picard. That's post yeah, Captain. It Picard, is. So he's he really. Totally
0: yeah, I mean, but he's not doing a stereotype. No? is the thing. He is playing a very particular kind yeah. of older gay man. Yeah. Who uh, it existed then and exists There's now? No? Yeah, and yeah. I, uh, I love that movie. Yeah. And he is—he is terrific in it. So it uh, doesn't quite transcend the play, but it's got its moments. And then we're gonna wrap out with uh, some Criterion stuff real quickly. Um, the, the first I'll make mention, and we still, we, I know months later, we will get to the complete Bergman set that is mm. still a monster, uh, just trying to find time for that. But uh, they took three, the famous Bergman trilogy, Through a Glass Darkly, Winter Light, and The Silence, about which I wrote many essays in school, is now out together as a trilogy in a lovely uh, little, uh, little package. And uh, all three of these films are great. Um, through a glass darkly, it, well gosh you know it 's hard to hard to say which is i I hate to say any of them are better than any of the others they are they 're not a trilogy in terms of having the same characters no. they 're a trilogy in that they deal with a certain themes mm-hmm. of loneliness and alienation, and Bergman meant for them to all tackle it. Winter light is wonderful about a you know a minister who is wondering why God is silent. Uh, the silence kind of continues that theme. Through a glass, darkly takes place. It's a, a family on an island, and it deals with uh, you know madness and the 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 impact of being alone in in a, in a physical world. Um, I've never seen spiders the same way ever since seeing yeah. that and reading the script. Anyway, that movie the, came out in 1961. The I was born. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's 61, 60, and 63. 63 yeah, Winter Light and, and the, the Silence so good, were made yeah, in 63. Back to back. Um, but what's what's really great here is that they have introductions to the films that Bergman recorded before he passed it was in 2003 and they have Ingmar Bergman makes a movie which is this amazing five-part documentary for Swedish television yeah. that was made at the time of Winter Light by the great Vilgot Sjöman another yeah. one of the legendary Swedish directors and I mean, real cinema verite just following him around it's great it's so good uh, and then they have What's
1: interesting it, in that documentary is we get to see how often unsure Bergman was constantly just, just you know,
0: notes and renotes, and really how, he, the, the great cinematic master. But he very, but constant. he was always trying to find the yeah, movie. Yeah. he was always trying yeah. to find it, and and working with his actors, and and yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, the other two Criterion titles, look, I can recommend them because they're Criterion, but they're Bruno Dumont, so I'm not going to uh, <laughs> La Vie de Jésus and <laughs> L'Humanité. Um, look, I, you know, there's. There's like sex stuff in La Vie de Jésus that is completely pointless and and, and, and overwrought and uh, I don't care for it at all. Um, You know, the fact that it exploits a guy with epilepsy as its main subject doesn't sit well with me either. Um, Lumenité was, well that was made in uh, 1997, two years later later he did Lumenité in 1999 and uh, it 's got more you know uh, unnecessary sexual stuff in it, and you, he's you know he 's got he 's got the Joan of Arc coming out this year I know yeah. I, I, look here 's the thing <laughs> i 'll leave you with this. Um, uh, you know I moderated a, an event with all with, with Bruno Dumont and a bunch of other filmmakers years ago at uh, at kolkoa, and the, the right out of the gate, Bruno insulted everyone else on the, on the dais and uh, fortunately, Robin, the amazing translator. Uh, she and I made eye contact and I pleadingly looked at her and said, please, please save this moment. And she somehow translated what he said into something that was the same but not insulting. I don't know how she did it. (laughs) But... Everyone else breathed a sigh of relief, and uh, I moderated another panel with him a few years later, like about two years ago, I think it was. And he was on very—he was on his best behavior. Yeah. He grew up a little bit, but yeah. he, look, he's an iconoclast. He makes movies that are very uh, shocking and aggressive. He's part of the new French extremism that we're always talking about. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't—I uh, don't—I don't particularly like that any of that stuff. We shall uh, see
1: what he does with of Arc That'll be. Yeah,
0: I—I'm I, I, not really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I mean. He's in, the, he's in the same realm as Gaspar Noé. He's not as horrific as Gaspar Noé. He's a better yeah. filmmaker than Gaspar Noé. But he still tries to push buttons. And he still tries to sort of shock you in ways that yeah. I think is, is immature. Yeah. Just tell a story. I don't need, you know, cannibalism and, and, and deviant sex. <laughs> you know, I don't need all that stuff all the time. Just tell me a story, man. Yeah. Anyway, so Bruno Dumont finally gets uh, baptized into the Criterion Collection with uh, La Vie de Jésus and the Manité. And with that, folks, we're, over, we're well over time, but it's been a good week, and we are done. Uh, we're going to have two more shows, and then we're going to take a hiatus for the uh, 4th of July weekend, which is a long weekend here, and we'll be back uh, after that week. So two more shows before the uh, 4th of July weekend, and I still think that, uh, mm. uh, that the Avengers Endgame has a chance on that 4th of July weekend yep. globally to pass cross Avatar. In the, in the mark. That's in what the mark. I'm predicting. Yeah. Let's see if it does it.